with me. Stand with me. Stretch out. Get ready. <laughs> Jeremy. Jeremy, that's the last time you worked the board. I don't know what you're doing right there, brother. We are way too close. And weird stuff. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> I first want to say that uh, last week, um, w one of the best uh, Sundays I've ever had, uh, get to come home and miss King. Thank you for all that hard work you put into that. And uh, no. I just want to be honest, though, it, 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 with everything, uh, see, I'm not going to start talking for real right now, but with everything that has gone on in my life and in ministry, uh, to sit back and go home and to read all of the uh, kind words that people here have said and just uh, the encouragement, not just for me, but I know I speak on behalf of all of the pastoral team, it was just, it just, it just did something to my heart. So I just... Uh, love you all. Appreciate it. And uh, you all make it very easy to pastor. Um, also, by, I just want to make a reminder because we forget about it. But at the end of service, uh, anyone that wants to go out in the Walmart parking lot with me to hand out flyers, please see me right at the end. We're going to give out flyers for our services. Uh, it's not for everybody, but for, uh, it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, it's not that deep. We have good conversations with people. But I wanted to remind that. So see me. Uh, after service, or Steve, where's Steve at? I know Steve is here somewhere. Okay, he's here somewhere. Right, maybe he stepped out. Um, and then I also want to say before I get into this message that it was great for Pastor Appreciation uh, Sunday, but I'm also very aware that when Jesus uh, rode into the temple to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, people were shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes, the King of Kings. And then the next week, they were going to crucify him. So it's very possible that when I start this message this week, some folks, okay, all right, I'm, look at someone and say, he's warning you. Because I have never preached on this text, and you'll know why, um, and I don't plan on preaching on it again after today. But turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. My Bible says concerning married folk. You realize you can read through a book of the Bible and get application for all types of stuff. We were talking about uh, sexual immorality last week. We've been, I didn't want to get into the chapter on lawsuits yet. Look at someone and say it's too soon. It's too soon. It's too fresh. I'd be too emotional, but I'm moving a little bit into this section on married folk. If you see someone that's married by you, say he might be talking to you today. These are, th these are heavy words I'm about to read. Now, verse 1, for the matters you wrote about. So they wrote Paul a letter, the Corinthians. Now, Paul gets a bad rap, but I'll get into that. But this is not Paul saying this. 
It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That is not Paul. He is responding to them. So he's quoting. Does your Bible have that in quotes? And then he begins to talk. He says, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Does somebody else want to read this next verse for me? Because I already know I'm in, I might, thank, thank God Joanna's working with the kids today. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. And in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Some men should have said amen right there. But do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And then come together again so that Satan, what does he, he says come together again. I, I think we know the context. So that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now I'm saying this as a concession, not as a command I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift. Another has that. Father, we thank you for the gift of marriage. We thank you for all of Scripture. It's God-breathed. It's useful. It's helpful for correction, rebuke, and dividing of soul and spirit. So today we ask, God, that you would help us uh, in our relationships, help us get to the core of what this passage is talking about. By the power of Jesus, I pray, don't let anyone stone me today. In Jesus' name, let the church say, amen. You can have a seat in the presence of the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, uh, the the great British uh, Baptist preacher, never preached through a book of the Bible. He felt that if he did so, it would limit the work of the Holy Spirit uh, so rather than work through the book, he would rely on the Lord to point to a text and start there. This method is a little bit better than the method that I use, because if I use that method, I could skip over this scripture in particular, because it's a little bit squeamish for folks. Um, so what is Paul saying? Uh, I, I mentioned this already, but the last part of verse 1 is a direct quotation, probably pulled directly from the letter that was written to him by the church in Corinth. And it says this, he quotes them and he goes, it is well for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. This is the quotations that he is responding to as the position of the folks in Corinth. And he begins, and we know this because in chapter 7 he begins. Now, I'm going to respond to the things that you all wrote to me about. And so if you're going to respond to a letter that someone wrote you, it might make sense for you to put a little snippet of, okay, you brought this up. They brought up the lawsuits. They brought up the sexual immorality that we talked about. And now there's some concern about how people are functioning now that they're believers in their relationship with their spouse. We know this is not Paul talking. How many people have gone and said, Paul said it's better not to be married. It's better for you not to have relations. This is Paul. Like, how many people have that gift of Paul of celibacy right now? Okay, you, 
No, okay, fine, never mind. Yeah, uh, your, your Bible, it's an unseen gift. So we're going to have a young adult men's group for people that have the gift of celibacy next week. So your Bible might say this, it is well for a man not to marry. That might be one way it's trans, translated. And Paul is not discussing whether or not a person should marry or not. The literal translation of this text is this, that quotes, quoting the Corinthians, it is well for a man not to touch a woman. All right? This, uh, you guys can write that. It is well for a man not to touch a woman. This is a polite euphemism to refer to being sexually intimate with someone. Don't we use euphemisms all the time? Oh, I, hold on, y'all. I got to run to the restroom. Never, you know what, Kendall, they're not going to track with me today. I'm not going to get a lot of amens today. Men, stay silent through this whole sermon, please. We say I need to go to the restroom because if I got into the particulars of it in this setting, it would be a little bit crass. Correct? So this is the idea that he's using. So the Corinthian position is this. We're so spiritual now. It is well for a man not to be sexually intimate with his spouse. This may be true in many situations, but I don't want you to go away thinking this is Paul's position because he begins to speak on marriage and divorce and other issues, but he begins to qualify this. So first know this, this is not some big long treatise on marriage in and of itself. This is just a specific issue. Paul is a pastor and theologians say that Paul is going around doing what they call task theology. You know what that is? That is dealing with specific issues that are rising up in a church or in a specific location. So look at someone and say, it's not a complete dissertation on marriage. But here's the, now we're going to dive in and dissect the issue. Is that all right? Here, here's the issue. Because of immorality in Corinth. Remember last week we talked, they just got out of the world. They, you know, the, and Corinth was one of this, it was a seedbed of immorality. And these people get out of that. And so somebody in the church stands up and says, I got the solution. Nobody should be intimate with anyone. Even if you're married. I got to say, if that happened at the church, I was going to be like, Joanna, we got to find a new church. Do you think it's, do you think these people are any different than us? Paul has to address this because sooner or later, you're going to have a bunch of folks falling away from church. Like I can't get down with, I can't contain this no more, Kendall. You know, there, uh, the, there, there's a movie coming out. A friend of mine, he's the uh, worship director at St. Sabina Church. And he, he helped write the score for this movie, uh, Chirac, uh, the Spike Lee film that's coming out in Chicago. And uh, this movie, is a, it's a satire about the gang violence uh, prevalent in some neighborhoods on the south side, particularly the neighborhood of... Oh, now you got to be kidding me. Do we got a show right now? Hold on, we're just going to wait this out. Hey, Mikey. Where's Mikey? Hey, this is a first for me, too. I'm going to see what movie this is. 
Watch it be Chirac. They, I, I'm serious. I, I think they, somebody made a mistake. We'll just hold on one second. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think any other pastor can say, while I was preaching, a movie started. Where's uh, somebody? Yeah, we'll just go check. Huh? We're going to see what good movies are coming out, though. Hold on. I, I, have, I have a feeling that this is probably Goosebumps because of all the kids' advertisements. Joe, you know? Okay. All right, can you, are, you, are we okay without sound? No, you guys stop. You all will not pay one single moment of attention here. I am not about to start preaching with that going on. Where were we? Okay, all right, Chirac. That is so random. I don't. I, maybe who knows? Who knows? Okay. This, th- but here's the thing about that movie. Are we good, Mikey? We good? All right. If that happens again, I, never mind. All right. But here's the thing: the the movie. It's this this idea. Uh, it, they're they're specifically in Inglewood in those areas, but it's v- based on this play called Lysistrata. Which, is, which was a Greek comedy by Aristophanes, and it was originally performed in classical Athens around the time of 411 BCE. But it's a comical account of one woman's extraordinary mission to end the Peloponnesian War. And Lysistrata persuaded the women of Greece to withhold their sexual privileges from their husbands and lovers as a means of forcing them to negotiate and end the war. So that's, that's essentially what the idea is behind this movie uh, Chirac. But what's funny is that this is sort of the same type of conversation that is happening in Corinth. So they're advocating this sort of spiritual marriage, this plutonic marriage where you can no longer be intimate with your spouse. Now, whenever you get into a text like this, there's a problem that comes about. It's the same problem that we have on Mother's Day and the same problem we have on Father's Day. People feel isolated. Well, I'm not married. I don't know if he's even talking to me. There could be 50% of any congregation who are single or divorced or widowed and everything else. So is there anything for all of God's people in this one passage? And the answer is yes. Look at someone and say, there's something for you. Now, I have to talk about the specific problem, but I want to frame it in a way that reaches everyone. And the underlying question is this. Does Christ transform a Christian's life? What's the answer? I'm going to say it again. Does Christ transform a Christian's life? I got to get everybody. Does Christ transform a Christian's life? 
But he doesn't destroy your life. He transforms your life by making you faithful in whatever situation you find yourself. He doesn't destroy. He builds. He establishes. Paul says Christ is Lord. He has cosmically changed your existence. Ephesians tells us that we are no longer just mere mortals. We're seated in heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. First Corinthians, why are you acting like mere men? Don't you know you are the temple of the living God? That does not mean that you're about to go fly to Mars and live somewhere else. You see what I'm saying? You could get a little too hyped. You could get a little too saved, Caleb. A little too Christianese. You know, I think of the people that sell all of their possessions because somebody says Christ is coming on November 30th, 2015. And you start getting all weird selling stuff, getting bottles of water sitting on top of a roof, you know, coming back. You're just weird. You're not Christian. You're just weird. Paul is saying all because you have come to Christ. Man, don't get weird on people. This, this is really what he's, he's getting at. All husbands, wives, all because you have found Christ, you don't got to come home and start posting scripture on every single wall, like a hundred scriptures on every wall. This ain't war room. You can have your little space, but come on. With a... I'm walking into the house now, Joanna. Hold on. Let me kneel and pray and rub oil on every doorpost. It's like... What are you doing? You can't do, you can't keep that up every day. No, oh, see, all right, people shouting me down. I'm going to fast this month. And all the kids, you're all fasting with me. I'm so spiritual. Tonight's date night. Joanna, come here. Hosanna to the king. You didn't just get Christian, you got weird. Oh, see. See, when you become saved, you don't get weird. You get faithful. When you become saved, you don't, you don't play Christian music. You wash dishes. When you get saved, you don't play Christian music. Or, you know, when you try, you can play Brian McKnight. That's okay. But you keep your word. Oh, see. You consider when you get, thank you. Thank you, Miss Wright. I knew you were with me. Everyone else, quiet, but you were with me. See, because when you get saved, you look at your wife and you say, how can I serve you better today? And you look at your husband and you think the same thing because when you start serving him, it's a little bit different than him serving you. Not ladies clapping on that one. See, Christ doesn't overturn your situation, but he calls you to obedience in your present circumstances. I'm preaching good, but no one's with me yet. Verse 2 through 4, but because of the cases of immorality, let each man have his own wife and each woman her own husband. He is not talking to say you need to go and get married. You guys got to stay with the context, okay? He is talking to married 
folks, he go, he's, he's not saying go on and you need to have your, you need to go and get married. He's saying to married people, young man, you should have your wife. Says you should keep on having her. You should keep on enjoying her. And young woman, you should keep your husband. You should have him and you should keep on enjoying them. The context of this passage is still physical intimacy. And verse 3, he goes into this deeper. Um, This is the Bible. He says, the husband must pay to the wife what he owes her. We don't like this language, do we? Ron is putting his head down. I don't know. Stay with me. What Paul is saying is that my wife has a right to me. And he says, it's a debt. You have to pay that debt. And then he says, likewise, the wife must pay to her husband what she owes them. It's this marital debt, what she owes him. Look at your spouse and say, you owe me. Y'all ain't married yet. Stop all that. You're not married. Marquita, Darnell, you're not married yet. That's next year. But look at her and say, you owe me. Is there anything more provocative in all of Scripture than the Apostle Paul discussing what a husband and a wife are to do amongst themselves in this provocative book. See, this is the balance. There's a balance here. And he says, the wife does not have authority over her own body. But the husband does. And also, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body but the wife does. I, was, I thought some men would say, preach, preacher. Caleb was like, it's a good point. That is a good point. And he keeps his hand low. You can look at your wife and say, honey, that is some good preaching. See, but we are bound so much by our culture that we can't, and feminism and masculinity, that we can't even understand the context of this. You, we miss the mutuality of the text. We say, well, pastor, that is a tough word for women. But see, in their context and in their culture, this was an, a word that would elevate women far above where they were at. See, because in a patriarchal home, especially in Corinth, it would have been commonplace to have a wife as well as multiple mistresses. That's why Paul's qualifications for elders and deacons in 1 Timothy and Titus says what? He must be the husband of one wife. Wasn't talking about divorce. That's how we've turned it because we take it out of context. He's saying, no, you have to be a person who, who is leading a church. You can't lead a church if you can't commit yourself totally to one person. You are ruled by your passions. So you can't commit to that one person. And, and when you do that and you have your wife here and, and you got these multiple women around you, you destroy the picture of Christ and his church. And there is a unity where two people come together and, and, and they will become one. But in that culture, the wife was there just to, for the value of procreation. 
But in terms of pleasure for men, there were all these other options. For the women, there weren't any other options. You would have been ostracized and kicked out of the patriarchal home. So there were these options for men. So women would have to live with the loneliness and the feelings of, of competition and the heart issues of not being having that conversation met by that man and that intimacy met with that man. And he says, the wife has authority over his body. See, see, see. Look, ladies, look at your husband and say, he's starting to preach now. See, you don't understand how liberating the Bible is for women. Because we don't know the context. And Paul says, you don't have these marriages where there is no physical connection. Paul says that would be a huge, huge mistake. As a matter of fact, the language in the Greek is in the imperative. It is a command. He says, You must pay what you owe in that relationship. You must continue being intimate with the person that you are with. This should be the norm in Christian life. It should be the norm in a Christian couple. Now, Paul is not dealing with all of the particulars. And I just want to stop you right here because there are times of sickness. Or when someone is dealing with a disability where you can't have a regular... These are, there are always differing things that are going on. Or there might be relationship issues that need to be worked out. Can I get an amen? Or a situation where someone is... There's some infidelity in the relationship and it destroys the bond. There's always these exceptions. But here's the norm if you're taking notes. There should be an attraction and an intimacy... And a normal, intimate relationship between you and your spouse. In other words, Paul is saying this. For a Christian couple, abstinence has no place. Okay? And if you withhold yourself from your spouse, you are sinning against the Lord and against your spouse. Now, I know there are some men who want to stand up and shout right now. But if you get too excited right now, it will put you in a very dangerous spot. And I understand that. So just wink. I don't want any clapping. That is wisdom. That is smart. But this text, men, does not exempt you from still working through the process with your spouse. All because their body is not their own. There's still a process. Can I get an amen? Are we still in 1 Corinthians chapter 7? See, that's why later on, there's a process. That's why later on Paul says, oh, by the way, men, you need to die to yourself. Because if you start dying, then they'll start submitting. It just doesn't work the way you think it works. You can't just say, you need to do this. That's not how it works. Can I just talk for a moment? We're going to have to cut this tape, Joey. Ladies, us men, we are so simple. We are so, we're so simple. That's why I can go out and play golf for four hours at a time. And I, I, I hit a ball. And then my, somebody else hits a ball. And then we go to our ball. And when we ride in our carts, here's what we do. 
And then we might say, good shot. Four hours. <laughs> Four hours. Think of fishing. We like the same food every day. We're so simple. We don't talk much when we're golfing. We're, we're actually not even thinking about anything. All we're thinking about is golfing. It's no other thing on our mind. That's why we can't golf if we got problems going on. Because then we can't focus on the thing we're supposed to be focusing on. It's so simple. That's all I'm doing. When I go out golfing, that's all I'm doing is golfing. And then my wife will come up and she say, well, what did, what, did you, what did you guys talk about? What did you and Bill talk about out there on the golf course? And what do we say? Nothing. No, for real, nothing. We didn't talk about nothing. For watching a basketball game, we didn't talk about anything. We were just golfing, and then I know she wants to hear something, so I have to really think hard about something content-worthy. You know, Bill was asking about how you were doing and, and how things were going on in our home, and this is what we were talking about. I don't know. We weren't talking about that. See, men are so simple. We want three things. We want to be wanted. Okay? We want someone to want us. Like, oh, you're hot and you're, we know we're not hot. We see ourselves in the mirror. We don't look good. We think you look good. We don't look good. We want to be wanted, though. You got to pretend. Look at you with that. Oh, I know I don't look like I looked at 21. You know, come on. We want to be wanted, we want to be needed, and we want to be respected. If you could pretend in all those areas, we'd be walking around like, life is... No, I'm, ta- I'm talking for real right now. Your husband would feel like he could conquer the whole world if you just said to him, mm, honey, I can't wait to see you tonight. It's so simple. It's just silly. It's just silly. Don't even gotta just. I'm on cloud nine. My wife left me a note in the morning. The whole day, I'm. I love you, Jesus. Woo. Wanted, needed, and respected. Guys are so simple. We, just, we can be intimate whenever. After funerals. After arguments. After surgery. After 9-11 or a major world catastrophe. That's so sad. After going to Chuck E. Cheese. We don't have any. We're just simple. Look, it's just simple. But with women, you got to choose your words so carefully. You have to hear a question and understand that the question is about another question or another response or about a response you had to a question that happened last week. You have to communicate in a great sense of love, but only if it's a time where you're not supposed to be silent, which you will never know until the end of the conversation. You got to be so 
careful. And we're just thinking about golf, but you know, women have a hundred boxes open all the time. So before you ever get there, you have to close down the kid box first, then the laundry box second, then the vacuuming box third, then the dishes box next, then that box of that person that said something to her at work that offended her. You got to start closing down all of the boxes. And then at the end of all of those box closing, they still might say, you know, I'm a little bit tired today. And you better not get mad. That's a mistake. Be quiet. I didn't know that you loved me cutting the boy's hair. I didn't know that was foreplay. I didn't know taking out the garbage was amazing. I didn't understand. I don't understand how these flowers. You want me to listen? I'm listening. I'm trying. Just tell me. That what we want, guys? Just tell me. Won't you just spell it out? Just tell me what you. All right, I'm just talking. Kevin Lehman on his book on marriage said that if you want to take your wife out to dinner, here's what you need to talk about. I keep this in my phone. Joanna's not in here, so don't none of you tell her. But when we go out to eat, I pull it out. I say, oh, I'm just checking Facebook, but I'm reading the list. It says she wants to hear about how wonderful she looks, how you miss her, how good it is to be with her. Plans for your future together. What you like about your relationship. Plans for her future to meet her personal dreams, her personal goals, her interests, encouraging her in them. How you met, reminiscing about the wonderful beginnings, why she's special to you, positive things about the restaurant, her accomplishments, her day, her ideas, the appreciation you have for all she does. What she doesn't want to hear about. The kids, the in-laws, the office, looking forward to something that doesn't involve her. Anything negative, anything you don't like about anything. Topics you disagree on that may cause an argument. Chores, expenses, bills, how expensive this meal is, problems of today, other women, past or present, negative things about the restaurant, your accomplishment, your days, your ideas, and the difficulties you had on planning the date. You see why we need a list. We're still in 1 Corinthians 7. See, Ephesians even is a book about unity. But much of it is how kids relate to parents, wives, and husbands. They get in your home because the Bible understands something. The better your relationship is at home, then the better your service will be here at church. Is this helping anybody so far? You know, God is not just a big God outside of us, but he's into the details of our day-to-day lives. He's into your situation. You know, when I was growing up, we all had chores that we had to do. And my parents, my mom was a, a, an educator, and so she made this contraption. It was a wheel that spinned, and it had chores on the wheel. And every week it would turn to a new set of chores. But, but my dad was notorious for leaving something somewhere. So if you had the chore of vacuuming the living room before school, he would just leave a little random piece of paper in some random corner, and then you would get home, and he would say, well, did you do your chores this morning? We'd say, yeah, Dad, of course. He goes, well, what's that in the corner? 
you know, you look. Uh, I, I, I don't know, man. You know it's been a long day, Dad. That should have came any time. He would say, I put that there this morning. See, he was into the details. And, and what he did by looking at those little things and the little hair in the bathroom that he set up for. Like, who does that? What about that hair there? I, Dad, it was there. I, I, it could have been Caleb. It could have been anyone. <laughs> you know, you got the Ajax. You didn't put Ajax right there, you know. But he forced us to always look at the details. God does the same. He says, I don't want you to just come to church. You have to look at the intimate details of you and your spouse. He's concerned about what you do with your money. Have you read Luke 16? He's concerned whether or not you are just content with life. Have you read 1 Timothy chapter 6? He, he's concerned with whether or not you're even working or not. Make it your ambition to live a quiet life and mind your own business and work with your hands, 1 Thessalonians Four. See, God isn't just provocative. He is real. And he's real in the details of your life and of my life. Look at someone and say, stop being a weird Christian. Get real. Get real. The second point I want to bring up is this. And from the text, your commitment to your marriage protects you. He says that you should continue in in, in this intimacy because of the immorality. So their, their point was right. There is still a place of immorality, but he says this is your protection. The, the answer is not to stop being married. It was to use your marriage situation as a way of not being drawn into this culture of immorality. See, one of the statements that could be made about Golden State is they have a, a tremendous offense, right? I mean, these guys, I love to see these guys shoot. I mean, I don't watch much basketball, but I like, I'll, I'll watch the highlights. These guys, they just shoot just amazing. But some people would say that a great offense is the best defense. That's the point Paul is after. Do you realize that we still live in a culture that is bent on immorality? Just turn your computer on. I mean, it's, in, it's everywhere. It's anywhere. It's, it's all over the place. But the best defense against temptation, especially for married people, is to be committed to enjoying the relationship that you have with each other. Commit to that enjoyment. Committing to that. How, how does adultery happen? How do people fall astray? Because we have forgotten how to just enjoy each other. Love the one you're with. At one point, you were overwhelmed and caught up, and then you were walking through here like Darnell and Marquita. You were falling all, oh, we're getting married. Woo, woo. You know, there was a point where you. Because God has placed, listen, he has placed that person next to you And has given them the ability to make your life great and enjoyable and transformative and awesome. It's okay. It's okay. If if even that's not you today, just clap. Like, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm there. 
See, and men, we always think of, see, because men are more physical and, and, and maybe we're more physical in that approach. But women, once you stop enjoying the person you're with, you start, you might not be physical, but it's easy to engage emotionally. Tonight's my scandal night. See, so there's that because we've forgotten how to enjoy the presence of of each other. This, you know, this is the essence of Proverbs chapter 5. He says, uh, my son, pay attention to wisdom. Turn your ear to words of insight that you may ma- maintain discretion and your lips preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death and her steps lead to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly. And he says, my sons, listen to me. Don't turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from that. Don't go near the door of their house, or you'll lose your honor to others and and dignity to ones that's cruel. Strangers will feast on your wealth, and your toil will enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, oh, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurns correction. I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. And he gives the antidote. Drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets or your water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with a stranger. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. And then he says, for your ways are in full view of the Lord. And he examines all of your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sin hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die led astray by their own great folly. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to transform every marriage here. Are you ready? Caleb, are you ready? We notice that Sarah is not sitting with you today. Are things okay? Better than ever. Here's the advice. Your spouse is not going to change. Brother Pryor, you heard me right. I love Brother Pry- Brother Price said, I already know. <laughs> Y'all missed that. The very thing you have been hoping that they get right is actually just who they are. And who they are is not bad. It's just different from you. You have to learn to love the one you are with. You know, I, my wife is the type of person... Her high time is being by herself. She's an introvert, although she loves being here and being with people. And you know me, I don't like people either. (laughs) No, like when I come to church, 
I, when I leave, I'm like, Whew, what should we do today? Because yeah, people get me jazzed up. Like, that's me. I would have you come to my house at 3 in the morning. I'm like, Tony, what's up? Ready. Let's go. Let's do. Let, but see, that's me. And so I had to figure out. It's like, why, why, won't, why can't we have a Bible study? See, you got to just figure out who you're with. And love them as they are. I'm talking to someone here. They're not going to change. Yeah, he wants to be intimate all the time. He's not special. Most guys in here are the same way. Don't try to change him. He's never did. We don't, I don't want to go to Caleb's house and bring a card on his birthday. Just don't want to do that. That's what, that's what ladies do. See, whenever we withhold love from our spouse, though, we are falling down on a slippery slope. You can prevent folly and danger and immorality and all of this other stuff by learning to love the one you are with. The best defense is a good offense. I want to bring this up because he makes one more point. I didn't, I didn't know how far I wanted to get into this, but he goes, in the end, he goes, you could abstain from each other for a period of time to devote yourself to prayer or some special revival from the Lord, but he gives a few conditions. He says, it's a concession. He's not commanding this. You may do it, but you're not under obligation, and it needs to be by mutual consent. Then he goes back to the command, language of the imperative, and says, but then you all must come back together. And as a final point, it's possible to use our Christianity or our religious obligations as a scapegoat for taking care of our basic responsibilities in our home. We are going to a revival service. We're religious. We're on the move, but you're not faithful to the one you are with. You are still sinning. You know, I meet with a group of pastors on Friday nights from 6 to 9 p.m. It's invigorating for me. And then on Monday, I go to the prayer Bible study at Judine's house. And then Tuesday, I go to Pastor Bill's house for, for his thing. And then Wednesday, I just catch a midweek service at another church somewhere. And then Thursday night, um, I'm going to go to Pastor Greg and Donna's house for the worships thing. And I'm just being so spiritual. And, and, and then that's my whole week. And what would the Lord say about my life if that were the case? In your religious fervor, you're sinning against your family. Be a good husband. Be a good wife. Be present in your home and love the one you're with. Now, I want you to grab the hand. If you're married, grab the hand of the person you're married to. If you don't want to grab their hand, say, babe, just do it so that people don't look at us funny. If you got into an argument yesterday, you're still struggling, just grab their hand anyway. Don't, don't do that here. Do not make a scene. Not up in here, okay? I'm already stressed. The movie started playing. Just hold their hand. And I want you to say, I didn't know he was preaching on this today. But if I called you out and the Holy Spirit spoke to you about something, I just want you to squeeze their hand. And now say, I don't want you to change. 
Just say it. I don't care. <laughs> Caleb, this was all set up as an intervention. Continue. Say, I don't want you to change, but I will commit to love you as you are in all your glory. It's easy to think that because I'm talking about it, I've got this all figured out. So I want you to look at your spouse and say, the pastor is definitely worse off than us. And now say, I will not leave you nor forsake you. No, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. <laughs> that's, not, that's not you. That's Jesus. Say, I will not leave you. I want to enjoy you. And I give all of me to you. That's all I got. Father, let's stand together. Everyone stand if you're able to. Now, maybe you're in a different situation. Maybe things are going on, but hopefully the Holy Spirit will use this to speak to you. God, I pray right now for all those who are gathered. Father, that you would flesh out what it is and what it means to be in a relationship with our spouse. Father, help us to learn how to love and accept and grow and cherish the one that you've given us, God. They've given up everything, Father. Teach us how to love. Let, their, let this even spark new conversations and new intimacy, God, for your glory and for your name's sake, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, let the church say amen. You all can be seated in the presence of the Lord just for a moment.
your holy name, God. We thank you, God, that you are the source of our strength. Lord, that when we are a little bit weak, when we are tired, you strengthen us from the inside out. That you are an ever-present help in time of need, God. That you're a good God. That you've made us the head and not the tail. That we're above and not beneath. God, that you're goodness. You're good to us, God. Lord, send your rain on us. Shine on us today, God. Lord, you are everything to us. So, Lord, we offer up this sacrifice of praise. The fruit of our lips right now, God. We just begin to declare your name. Just begin to speak out the attributes of God. He's loving. You're faithful. You're good. You're wonderful. You're the master. You're the creator. You're the alpha and the omega. You see our end from the beginning, Lord. You are a wonder, God. Everlasting. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are above ours, God. You've ordered our steps, Lord. So, Lord, we give you praise today. Father, I pray that today you would deepen us in your word. Deepen our relationships with one another, God. Grow us as a community, as a family of believers, God. Surrounded around that great table of the Lord. The memory of what Christ has done for all of us. Forever that name will be praised. All glory, all honor. Mm. Just take a moment, church. Fix your eyes on Jesus. <laughs> we got to be reminded of that. That's why the author of Hebrews says that fix your eyes on Jesus. Because something changes in our hearts when we start looking at Jesus. 
I just want to declare, stop fixing your eyes on other things, on the problems, on the situations, on your relationship, on all of, on the health issues. But the Bible declares, fix your eyes on Jesus. Because when you start staring at Jesus, something strange happens. See, when we magnify God, he becomes bigger and our, everything else becomes smaller. So, Lord, we fix our eyes on you, Jesus. Let everything else fall away. And fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus, we see you now. Our great provider, our great healer, our comforter in time of need, God. Someone here needs comfort today. So, Lord, we fix our eyes on you today. Holy Spirit, fill these vessels. Fill these temples, God, with more of you. Overflow that we might be able to pour out in the lives of others, God. We hand it all over to you now, God, as an act of worship, corporate worship, where your presence is with us. We bless you today. In the mighty name of Jesus, let the church say amen. Give God praise in this place because he is so good and so awesome. I want you to give someone a hug and tell them, fix your eyes on Jesus, my friend.